Buenas tardes. Esta historia comienza en el puerto de Veracruz. Originalmente éramos un grupo de veracruzanos que queríamos conocer más acerca de la cultura mexicana y se desarrolla en la parte alta de una óptica que se encuentra en la calle de 5 de Mayo, en el puerto de Veracruz. La dueña, la señora Mimi Palacios, organizaba excursiones. En aquella ocasión, esta excursión fue realizada hacia Tlaxcala por un arqueólogo. No me puedo acordar la fecha exacta, pero remonta hace más de 20 años. Viajamos por autobuses ADO hasta Tlaxcala y de ahí llegamos a un lugar que se llama San Miguel del Milagro. Pedimos posada, un grupo de 20 personas, un arqueólogo cuyo nombre no recuerdo en estos momentos, pero iba vestido completamente de blanco, recordando a aquellos papantecos que usan toda la ropa completamente blanca y las sandalias de cuero. Un hombre de piel oscura, muy alegre, con una sonrisa amplia. Las personas nos recibieron y nos dieron posada por esa noche, nos alimentaron. Al día siguiente, cuando salimos de ese lugar, recuerdo haber visto la majestuosidad del Popocatépetl, la nieve, el frío, y empezamos a caminar por horas hacia nuestro destino. Sabíamos que íbamos a unas ruinas arqueológicas, pero no teníamos ni idea de lo que íbamos a presenciar. Caminamos dos horas, cuatro horas, seis horas, hasta que encontramos una estructura metálica majestuosa. Entramos y a la, al momento de entrar, recuerdo mi impresión de ver esos murales gigantescos de colores rojo y azul. Remontándose a la historia, llegamos a un lugar que se llama Cacaxla. Es una palabra náhuatl que significa instrumento para cargar mercancías. Cacaxla está localizado en el sur de Tlaxcala, a 128 kilómetros de la Ciudad de México, y a 19 kilómetros al sur de Tlaxcala, en el municipio de Nativitas. Cacaxla era la capital del pueblo Olmeca y Chicalanca. Welcome to Storytelling Translationships, our podcast that focuses on storytelling with multilingual communities. In each episode, we invite back multilingual student storytellers who have collaborated with us and others on developing and retelling stories that have shaped them in some way or another. Together, we sit and talk about the significance of these stories and the cultural context, language, and situations around them. In doing this, we hope to honor the traditions of storytelling and the cultures, peoples, knowledges, lands, and waters where these stories originate and where they're told and shared today. In this way, storytelling helps us to reflect on who we are as humans, what we value, whose perspectives and languages matter, and how to be in relationship with one another and with the other more than human species in the world. As Robin Wall Kimmerer says in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants, mm -hmm. as the world changes, an immigrant culture must write its own new stories of relationship to place, a new ilbal, but tempered by the wisdom of those who were old on this land long before we came.
Today, as uninvited guests living on the lands of the Coast Salish people in the Seattle area, which touches the shared waters of all tribes and bands within the Duwamish, Puyallup, Suquamish, Tulalip, and Muckleshoot nations, we acknowledge, learn from, and exist in relationship with Indigenous peoples past and present and their stories. The scope, focus, topic, tone, form, and origins of the stories in this podcast series all vary, showing complex and inequitable conditions and experiences in our communities, how stories circulate or not, and what it means to actively engage with them. In multilingual storytelling and in lives, we see the complexities and contradictions that come with aspiring to understand one another while maintaining and preserving knowledge through unique language expression. Poet laureate of the Muskegee Creek Nation, Joy Harjo, speaks about writing the ways of language and acknowledging the force and impact of colonizing languages such as English and Spanish. At the same time, transgression is possible and these languages can become crossing places when we create spaces for coming together. In this podcast series, we make an attempt at writing those waves and open up conversations through reciprocal sharing and listening to better understand and be more sensitive to others, our classroom dynamics and the world we live in. In this episode, we sat and talked with Brenda whose story you heard at the beginning of this podcast. We also listened to Marta, who shared the story of a peñasco or boulder or a cave, according to others, crumbling down and causing landslides that sank houses and farms in the village of Santiago Midlatongo in the Mixteca region of Oaxaca. Marta told us that the story had been documented by the New York Times but also by many locals and others who shared first impressions, visual documentaries, and other forms of storytelling online to raise awareness. But Martha also told us that she had originally heard the story from her grandparents and other town people in Mixteco, and that the story was shared as a warning by her Mixteca ancestors. Like Brenda's, both stories speak to how knowledge is passed down from one generation to the next across various communities in Mexico and how language mediates such sharing. We are Cristina Sanchez-Martin and Taiko Aoki-Marcial. And we hope you can join us in these conversations. Bienvenidos and thank you for being here. Let's get started with today's episode, Our Ancestors Knew. Los antepasados ya sabían. So Martha and Brenda, you have both shared stories with us recently, and we appreciate the detailed conversations that we've had around them. So we're gonna try to put them into conversation right now. But before, could you provide a short summary of your story for those who haven't listened to that yet? Martha? Yes, sure. Yeah, my name is Marta, and this story started in a village and that um, story I heard for the first time from my grandmother, a scary story, when my grandma told me that uh, one day, at some point, one of the uh, landslides, yes, uh, maybe uh, it could, could be more uh, dangerous because we hear like uh, every year something happen and, and each rock is just falling down each year. And for all the people in the village, it, looks uh, like uh, uh, like something normal. But for me, hearing this story was uh, so scary 
and I I just passed this story to my kids, and I told them when uh, when this story just got real, like uh, something happened in uh, the real thing happened in uh, September 11, 2011, when all the town just covered by uh, by water, and we uh, we noticed like uh, or. or ancestors uh, already uh, knew this story and just passed like generation to generation. And we we just uh, waiting for this thing uh, to happen, but we didn't know that it's going to, hap uh, to happen uh, uh, like uh, so early. For me, it's so early. And I just passed this, uh, this story to my kids and my kids just told me, oh, mom, I'm not, I don't know how you survive in that town, just knowing like that something is going to happen. Uh, for me, this story is uh, it's a nightmare, but at the same time, it's like uh, uh, I recognize that ancestors know what happened and the knowledge of the ancestors knowing this thing is, uh, is something like they share and we just pass by voice generation to generation. Thank you. And Brenda? Well, my name is Brenda Perez, and this history uh, happened to me when my mom was alive. We did a trip um, uh, from Veracruz to Tlaxcala, especially Cacaxtla, um, in order to know some archaeological ruins. Um, Cacaxtla is a Nahuatl word that means um, something for carry uh, merchandise, even groceries. And during those during that trip, uh, we have a lot of uh, fun, but it's, at the same time, we didn't know what we can expect. We were just uh, taking the bus until San Miguel, and then we start to to walk around the hills around six hours until we saw a big uh, metallic structure. And when we discovered was Hakaxla that is a ceremonial building, uh, especially for rituals and residential and kind of government um, um, uses. But the important thing about these places is the decoration, because we, we, we were just excited to see the different colors, especially blue, yellow, and red where they describe the life in that, uh, that time, um, especially uh, about the corn. Uh, the corn was an important symbol for them because uh, it was uh, part of the culture. And another kind of uh, interesting things was the knife, uh, kind of eagle knife or tiger knife. Um, and that history is connected with my grandmother too, because she was actually from Apan, um, Tlaxcala. So when we came back to that place, we didn't, I didn't know, especially that my grandmother was from Tlaxcala too. That is the connection for me. It was very weird to come back to the place where my grandma was born. Thank you so much for that for those summaries uh, of those stories. One thing that we kind of noticed when listening to the full stories 
was a common theme that both of you brought up in your retellings about the ancestors' knowledge being passed on through the stories. For example, Brenda, you talked about the importance of corn in, in Kakachla murals of the Olmeca and Shikanla people. And you asked, how would they have known that corn was so nutritious? And you point out that one of the things that surprised you the most was realizing all the knowledge that they had on gastronomy, engineering, art, etc. And then Marta, you also, you explicitly say, los antepasados eran sabios, ellos ya sabían, because the story that your grandma told you about the landslide was seen as a premonition that became reality. Could you both talk a little bit more about how stories help us to appreciate, recognize, and account for the knowledge that these ancestors have been sharing through stories and through art? Yeah, uh, for me, is uh, it sounds very interesting when I hear this story from my grandma, because um, she she really told me this story like a, she already is maybe read in some article or something like that because when she she told me this story it's like I just going uh, like a sequence she just told me like a, okay in some point this is going to happen but also when she told me this story she told me like uh, uh, you know we we heard this story from our ancestors but also we are doing some some things like recognize the importance of uh, of rain and the importance to talk with the, the god of the rain and you know and I think it's very important to recognize like uh, all the ancestors the knowledge is so for me is something something extraordinary like they already know many stories this is one of the things i hear from my grandma like uh, this uh catastrophe is going to happen but you know there are many many uh things coming from the ancestors uh and i just try to uh to recognize this that it's very important to to listen and know some kind of stories coming from the ancestors because it sounds like a story, but at the end, it has some meaning. Um, one of the murals, because Kakaxla uh, is known for, for the colors in, in the paint, um, but if you see in details, um, the most of them has corn, corns uh, very tall, about two meters, and when you look up, Closer, those are not corns, those are faces, uh, like our makeout faces. And the connection between corn um, being a, um, a specific uh, part of the Mexican nutrition is uh, corn has one uh, essential amino acid, is tryptophan, that is essential for survival. Um, we we don't know exactly how they have that knowledge about this essential amino acid that comes in the tortilla, but they reflect um, that kind of important um, nutrition in their life with paint. Um, for me, it was very interesting in that moment when I saw the rooms, I couldn't make the connection because uh, was like a scene, a movie. Uh, for me, it was like a scene, a movie in the past, how they were living. Um, especially 
I remember they have uh, paints about constellation stars. Um, that is how they were just looking at special uh, constellations. This part could be a secret to discover still because um, they were just talking especially about Venus. And, but the corn, how they know that this uh, essential amino acid in the nutrition? I mean, for Mexicans, because tortilla is part of the daily life in Mexico. And even for us that we live outside of Mexico, no? So those are like, a, for me, the biggest secrets besides of the, the um, they describe how they were fighting between warriors in that time and how they were wearing the, the outfits, the, because they were kings, no? No, no, not only the soldiers, but those things, especially the corns, because when they were painting a, a corn, the plant, Every corn had the color green, no, but was uh, a face, a human face. It's like a human, uh, every human was, uh, um, they come from a corn. I don't know if I can explain. So what like a corn was the mother? This explanation that I found. Another aspect that was relevant to both of your stories was what Martha called unir generaciones. Brenda's story is also about her moms, and you just said that about your grandma as well, who was from that area, um, and how your mom and you were traveling together, and that's how the story developed. And then Martha shared that it was her grandmother who she heard the story from first, even though there were other elders in her town who would talk about it too. Uh, both of you have also said that you would pass on the stories to your children. So how do these stories help to unite generations in Martha's words um, from your experience? And why do you want to pass on the stories to your children? I think uh, the first, uh, the emotion, the emotion is so big when we hear about, uh, when I hear this story for my, from my grandma, but also when I just pass this in, uh, story to my kids, the emotion is like, oh my God, that is so big. But this is like a, a, a big thing to you, uh, for us because when I, when I hear this story, it comes from a Mixteco language. Then I pass this in Spanish, but my kids, is uh, they still doing that just when uh, we saw some news from some part of the world that is uh, the same thing uh, is happening. And my kids just told uh, this story in English that that happened in my, my grandma town. And you know, uh, this is a big impact because even people, if they don't know uh, the village, they, they really, uh, um, talk to us like if we are a, a big family, you know, because when this happened in the town, uh, I had many friends came to me and they say, okay, we are here. Do you need a support? Uh, your family is okay. And you know, it's like, a, um, I, felt, I felt at the moment, like uh, there is no, 
there is no people, there is no person like they don't really feel this, uh, this emotion. And that for me, that is like a, a, a big thing because all the people around my family just came to us. Not only family, not only people from the village, but people from uh, over uh, like, a, that happened in 2011. And there are still people like just came to me uh, or come to me and ask me uh, if my family is okay, if everybody are okay in the town. And I think that is um, uh, the way I feel like uh, it's not only the family, it's all the people. I noticed that, that many people uh, feel in the same way I felt at the time. Um, yeah, I think, um... I'm thinking just right now is something that I haven't think about it, but it's like a, I have the opportunity to discover uh, all treasure because what they did, painting that history about their daily life, they know that they're going to pass in the future, but they try to, to, to leave behind them what they think is going to be important for future generations, no? Saying, for example, corn is going to be so important in Mexican cultures, in Mexican families, uh, even if you pass for some kind of disgrace or some difficult times, we were a, a big uh, city, we have a a uh, big tradition in our life. We, we, we can share this with you because um, usually people, when they, they see Mexico, they think in, in Ochitlan or Cancun in the archeological or Tajinto, but that area, not everybody uh, outside of Mexico, they know about that area. But I think uh, the relevant uh, part about this is they they make something forever for centuries. It's like a go for the tortillas and you have just just tortillas and frijoles. So how do they know that? And it's like they were predicting something that's gonna happen many centuries later, no? It's just my opinion. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that both your stories Marta and Brenda have this idea that the, the, the ancestors knew something that was important, whether it was this disaster that was going to happen or whether it was the fact that corn was important to the people and would be important to the people for many, many generations. This idea that, um, that there was a premonition, there was like a future vision of the people in the past that they kind of knew what would what would be important uh, for their for future generations. I think that's an interesting connection, even though it's very different. The the premonitions that they had, you know, one was about kind of the daily life and the the importance of corn, and one was about kind of an isolated disaster. But they were both kind of this future looking visions of our our ancestors, which I think is really interesting. This next question is kind of about language and the language of these stories. Um, so thinking about how language is the conduit to the retelling of stories, 
And you both use Spanish, as you mentioned, you know, to tell them, but recognize that like, languages like Mixteco or Olmeca are part of these stories since they were first told in these languages. In addition, you're also telling them in English or um, Marta, as you said, your, your, your children are telling them in English as well in different contexts. Um, so how do you think the story changes or not depending on the language or combination of languages in which it's told? Is it important to convey the meaning and the teachings of the stories? Is language important in this aspect? And then finally, what would you tell teachers that you work with about this, about the languages that these stories um, hold? What would you want teachers and other folks who work with these stories um, in educational settings to know? Yeah, I think uh, I'm so proud to speak this language, Mixteco. And yes, uh, uh, hearing this story uh, the first time uh, uh, from uh, my grandma, uh, in Mixteco is very important to me uh, because now when I just try to pass this story to my to my children, uh, I I do in Spanish. But my kids, when they just try to to talk with someone, or even if I just have to to talk with uh, this story to talk with uh, someone else about this story, I just try to do it in English. Uh, for me. Uh, the language is very important and and I know uh, it doesn't matter uh, what kind of language it's the story come from because you know uh, the feeling the sentiment is there and I think uh, we just try to to pass to pass uh, this this story in any languages but also doing in mixteco in Spanish and English is very important to me because the generations are there my ancestors, of my generation, also my kids' generation. And yes, because um, I think it changed. Depends on the language that the listener has. Because for understanding importance, uh, they need to know some of the meaning. For example, Kakaskla was a, was a city uh, in the, on the top of some hills. So, they have excellent view and they can even have connection with another populations. But at the same time, um, something for keep the attention or for try to share more information about that is if we can even show them the paints uh, about all Mechas, what they did the murals, because some of them, those are uh, murals like a 30 meters large, and they can understand more about the context, because talking about the, the corns or how they were making reference about the importance of this uh, food is, is more appropriate if they can see the murals and the colors, because otherwise just we can say this happened and this happened, no? Um, I can describe that because I was there, but for people who are English speaker, I think it's important if we can show them some of the pictures of that uh, places because they can get the full idea about that uh, important group in Mexico. No, They disappear years later because 
was different kind of wars. Um, they didn't have enough food or around, they lived like a, more than 600 years. Uh, but I think um, absolutely changed if this is an English speaker because um, this is different. So our country has many years in this earth. We don't know exactly how, how old is Mexico because those cultures, for example, those of one of the buildings, the walls, they were just huge, so wide, like a two meters in deep. So for English speakers who are from this country, it's, it's better if we can show them some videos uh, about Kakaxtla, no? I think could be easier for them to understand what we are trying to explain them. <laughs> Wonderful. And what would you want your teachers and other people who are engaging with the stories to know? How they can do that kind of uh, beautiful art, because it's art. It's not only draws on, it's, it's art, how they make combination with natural pigments and natural colors. Um, I haven't seen those. I think it's kind of the, it, I'm not sure it's only the one culture who had that kind of uh, colors in Mexico, but um, I think it is relevant. For me, the art, besides the, the information, no? besides the cosmology and all the meanings when they were, they have the eagle knife or the tiger knife or the corn, but this is the art. If, when you see the art, it's just like a, make you feel happy with those kind of colors. It's, it's just so beautiful, no? How they com combine all different colors and elements because um, they have tigers, they have frogs, they have snakes, they have arrows, water. So there's too much to investigate in that culture, no? But the color is, is just, something so interesting and new, no? That's why Kakaxla was very popular in that time, no? And I think it could be good if, if the world can know that part of Mexico, no? no, everybody knows. Even many Mexicans, they don't know about that. <laughs> I think uh, for me, it's very important to recognize our, our culture, the knowledge of our ancestors, and also to know how to describe some stories because sometimes we heard many stories and I I say okay just yes, is like a uh maybe just some story like a fairy tale but at the end it's not because the ancestors wow I I always said uh like maybe uh if we can just try to to hear many stories and just try to uh, to find maybe we can't we can't find the meaning but for sure they know everything they knew and if we pass this story to our generations my kids and maybe we can just try to wait we don't we don't really wait for something bad happened like this situation happened but maybe some some things because there are many stories in the village but this is one of the greatest story, and at the same time, sad story. 
come true. They came true, you know. But I know uh, I just want to contribute uh, to this story to tell people how to listen some stories and just try to reflect ourselves. Wonderful. We're gonna end with that reflection um, and something else that you said in a previous conversation, escuchar es el aprendizaje, escuchar historias de nuestros antepasados, es bonito escuchar, aunque no se crea a veces, lo bonito es escuchar. Uh, listening is what uh, allows us to learn and listening to these stories is beautiful, even if you don't believe in it, uh, the beautiful part of all of this is to listen. So how do we know when people are listening and learning? And what would you want the listeners of this podcast to pay attention to when they are engaging with your stories? I think it's, uh, it's a little bit difficult uh, if, just, if I just tried to, to tell the story without, like Brenda said, without a video, without some uh, um, article, because sometimes people just believe when they see something. And, and I think we, we, have to, we have to listen. I just invite a person from the village to just try to know more about this story. And for me, it's very important to, to learn, but first listen, because you know, if I just try to find some article on the internet or just uh, talk with my family member, I know it's, it's okay. But also coming from other people, what happened to them? And I think uh, that, is the, uh, that is the most important thing to learn by listening to people. And I think um, even Kakasla has the images, the paints, the murals, what they did for us because they paint their life every day, not only for Mexico, I think for the entire world. It's like a treasure, actually, but we can even try to describe all the information that they have over there. Um, there, I think there's more, more knowledge to know about what they try to say. Uh, maybe there's more secrets, no? Uh, what they, they were just painting in their life because um, it's like a, they were predicting how this is going to be important for survive in the future, no? I remember uh, about water and rain and food was kind of the most important stuff. And the cosmology, they were painting too much about cosmology. And I think even if uh, people that they are from different nationalities, they can understand. That is a legacy for, for next generation and for people for every part of the world. No? It's important thing about Kakaxla, no? They, they, it's a gift for the future, no? for entire people, entire life. And thanks God they can, they discover that place, no? Because uh, what history says is, um, a farmer was doing a, uh, 
his job and he discovered by accident some stone with that faint South Casca was discovered long time ago. So um, serendipia is a word in Spanish. I think in English it's serendipity, you know, it's like a, everything, if there's no casualties, it's, some, it's for some reason. No? But it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice history in Mexico that not even every Mexican know about that place. Thank you. Let's end with that idea of serendipity. And thank you both so much for everything that you have shared with us. We're gonna end with this call to action for us to listen more deeply to the stories and from people's experiences. And thanks again, both of you, for your, for your generosity uh, with gratitude and hasta pronto. This podcast has been produced with the support from the University of Washington Simpson Center and the College of Arts and Sciences in a National Endowment for the Humanities Challenge Grant. Special thanks to our guests for generously sharing the treasures that these stories are for their families and communities. More information on their stories and others involved in this project can be found on our podcast website, translationships.net. The title of our podcast was inspired by Force 11 Open, Multilingual and Global Scholarly Communication Working Group, which challenges the global scholarly communication community to develop more openly and equitably translationships, translational relationships across cultures, languages, regions, boundaries, disciplines, and worldviews, as it appears in Spence and Brandau's 2021 article towards language sensitivity and diversity in the digital humanities. Our collaborators for this project include language and pedagogical support from Eloisa Aguirre, Francisco Sidere, and Bishin Fu. Technology and logistical support from Frank McCarthy and Elliot Stevens. In the introduction, we quote Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetcast, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants and Joy Harjo's introduction to the website Living Nations, Living Worlds. The intro song is a remix of Mercedes Sosa's Valderrama by Kermes, a group from Buenos Aires formed in 2015 by duo Fase and Gertz, aka Muno, and licensed under the Creative Commons.
Thank you. 